Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. So if you want to just bookmark for a little bit, uh, Matthew chapter 2 as well. So we're going to hang out in the book of Dr. Luke chapter 2 and also Matthew chapter 2. Can we welcome anyone that might be um, streaming with us? We've had a wonderful week. We had our Simply Christmas event Friday night. We have Christmas Eve services coming up. How many of you are attending Thursday night Christmas Eve? Four, five, ten. 20. All right. I'm teasing. Uh, and then how many of you are going to attend the real Christmas Eve on the 24th? Right? It's, you've got a plethora of options. So 6 p.m. on the 23rd, candlelight service, or 6 p.m. on the 24th, candlelight service. And we cannot wait to see you. It's going to be an exciting time. Can you turn to someone? And I don't know, you know, it was one of those first service, I think, had their coffee and their espressos today. Every time we come to church, but it seems like 11, you're usually the rowdy bunch, and we seem like the quiet bunch today. So can you turn to someone and get loud and just say Merry Christmas? Tell them. Tell them Merry Christmas. Loosen up in here. Tell somebody it's good to be in God's house. It's okay to make some noise. It's okay to high-five someone because we're celebrating Christmas in the house, and this is our final Sunday. This is like our final Christmas message. Can you believe it? There has been a common theme um, that keeps, seems to come up just unintentionally during this series that we have said, come and see. And it is this idea and this encouragement and maybe even a reminder that as the church, we need to be reminded to not allow culture to dictate to us what Christmas is all about, to not allow culture to send their version and their idea of what Christmas is. And then in fact, we get so used to what culture says it is that we actually miss out on what Christmas truly is. Did you hear that, right? Thank you. Cheer me, bring, shout me down if you like it, right? You're, you're spirit-led, you got it. So, you know, we don't know the exact date. We don't know the exact time. Um, but we do know that there was a Roman emperor named Constantine. He was the head of the Roman Empire at the time, and he officially decided to certify this event. He, he decided to celebrate the event, make it official that every December 25th, the Roman Empire, he, he, he brought this change, his name was Constantine, that they would celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. And so in short, 2,000 years ago, the most transformational man, uh, life-altering event in the history of mankind took place. You know, in fact, we've measured time by this event, right? We, we, we have taken B.C. and we have A.D. where we measure so many different things. But if we're not careful, it's very simple to just kind of get distracted, right? We, if you're like me, distractions are so easy to uh, pull our attention away. Distractions are all around us. And even some things that are really amazing, it's interesting how even sometimes uh, fun family events can be void of the topic or the mention of Jesus. Uh, we were blessed by grandma and grandpa this week. They took us to the ballpark at downtown Summerlin, and we got to go to the Enchant Experience. Has anyone seen that? No, three of us, ten of us. So it's pretty amazing, right? Those of you that have been, I was impressed, right? They, they transformed this entire baseball field into a magical Christmas experience. And just, just I mean, it was, it was so, so beautiful. And as we were going through this experience, there was this amazing 200-foot-tall, like the largest Christmas tree I've ever seen. It made the Christmas tree at Disneyland look small. It was so beautiful. Right in the middle of this ball field, it was probably like right at second base. It was pretty amazing to see on, down on this ball field. And um, in, in, that, in that same area, they had ice skating. How many of us love ice skating around Christmas? Some of us, two of us. You know, how many of us love being entertained around Christmas? 
If you love being entertained and you don't want to spend a lot of money, just go somewhere where they have public ice skating around Christmas, and you will, you will just observe many people that are built like me, that look like me, and they are falling all over the ice. And God bless them. I didn't see anybody break anything, but I saw some, I, I heard some thuds that went down. It was, it was pretty scary. Uh, my kids saw the ice skating rink, and they wanted to go ice skating this past week. And like any good father, I said, absolutely not. We're not ice skating. We've had injuries in the family lately, and we're not doing it. So we're going to have fun and Merry Christmas, right? But they have a wonderful uncle in their lives who has this amazing ability to change everyone's mind and to get access to places you're not supposed to have access to. Um, they were supposed to be sold out at 630, and of course he goes, well, we can always ask. And I'm like, oh boy, he's going to ask, and I know what's going to happen, right? He goes up and he asks, can we get in late, even though we didn't make a reservation? And they say, absolutely. The man has a gift. He just gets us into things, right? It's a VIP experience gift. And so what do you know? My kids, before I know it, are signed up to ice skate, and I thought, I can't let them break their wrists alone. I have to be there, right? And so we have these three girls that we're trying to teach how to ice skate. And let me tell you, if you want to see something even funnier, go watch Pastor Joey ice skate. Um, it was interesting. I mean, we, actually, I never fell. My kids never fell. We, we kept them up, and we were, but we were singing. But it was interesting. I had a cramp in my leg the, like two days later. I said, honey, my calves hurt. I'm like, why do my calves hurt? I know I didn't go to the gym, right? Well, what happened? And no, sure enough, it was all that ice skating. My back hurt. My calves hurt. But I'm telling you, there were some big boys that were going down on the ice, and you could feel that ice rink shake. You could feel their pain. And I was just praying, like, in the name. I wanted to become Catholic for a minute and just start praying in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Keep me safe. Do not let me break my arm or anything that is going on. But we had a wonderful time watching people wipe out. And then I had a wonderful time remembering and thinking about how this seemed a lot easier 20 years ago. How many of it, like, I remember thinking, like, ice skating didn't seem that hard when I was 18. When we were in youth group together, like, it didn't seem that hard going around the Rancho Santa Fe Hotel ice skating. And I was like, when did it become such a, a terrible experience, right? You couldn't even, like, enjoy it. I was sweating. I had to take my jacket off, which it was just, it was like, my shirt was too tight. It was all covered in sweat. It was, it was a sad sight, right? It was just not a good thing. But we had a wonderful time. Um, but man, God kept us safe. We didn't break anything. But I talk about this experience because something stood out to me that, you know, it, I was worried so much in the ice skating rink, I didn't even have time to like realize how beautiful everything looked because I was so worried about my kids wiping out, right? But what was interesting is they had this maze and they had this whole experience where you go around and you find reindeer and it was amazing and it was beautiful. But one thing I couldn't help but notice is there was not a song there in sight that mentioned the name of Jesus. There was not a manger in the house of all of the millions of lights that were no doubt on display that looked beautiful. There was not a, a single mention of the Christ child. It, it, it was very clear that Christ was left out of that Christmas experience. And it, it was amazing. It was fun. But it clearly was a lot of lights, a lot of festivals. Uh, the food was really overpriced and delicious and amazing, right? A lot of trees, but I couldn't help but think as, as we kind of progressed and, and just kind of thinking about it and studying this week that that was an experience that was in and of itself really fun, fun family time. But it was very clear that culturally, intentionally, Jesus had been left out of that Christmas experience, even though the experience is in many ways named after him. Christmas is that date, that moment where God invades the history of mankind. Christmas is that moment where from what we can under understand, what our inhuman minds can understand about time and space, it's that moment where God himself stepped into what we can understand about time and space, revealing that second member of the Trinity, revealing his son Jesus for all mankind, and revealing the hope for humanity that we have in the person of Christ. When we talk about December 25th, that is what it is all about. This message this morning is titled, Being Drawn to Jesus. 
being drawn to Jesus this Christmas. We're going to see some characters in Scripture where, quite frankly, there's going to be some that really seek him out at Christmas. We're going to talk about it. You know, the first thing that probably comes to mind when we talk about seeking Jesus this Christmas is we know there was wise men that were seeking Jesus. But we're going to also talk about some characters and some people in these scriptures that missed Jesus at Christmas time. They missed Jesus when he arrived. They completely missed him. And I'm guessing there's been seasons of our life, maybe where we're not following, with Christ, following Christ, maybe when we're not in the Word, maybe when we're consumed with work or we're consumed with family or we're consumed with sports or whatever it is, or we're consumed with poor health. Maybe it's something like that. Where if we're not intentional and if we're not careful, we too can also forget to include Jesus in Christmas. Number one, this morning, sometimes business, sometimes life, sometimes the job, sometimes the family, sometimes things are so good that Jesus goes missing. Would you write that down in your notes this morning? Sometimes business is so good that, let's just say it's been a time of blessing, and it's, you know, I haven't had to depend on God, I haven't to rely on God. Things are just so good that Jesus goes missing. One question I always want to ask every Christmas is, do you have room for Jesus in your life, in your schedule, in your bank account, in your time, right? Gifts are so much fun to give. Gifts are so much fun to receive. How many of you know, like, the older you get, it's, it's fun to receive a gift, but I even think sometimes it's, it's more fun to watch your kids open a gift, isn't it? Right? It's like adults, we've had, we've had, some of us had it all, whatever, like, it's fun to receive a gift, it's fun to give one, it's fun to watch your little kids open them, but there is no doubt if you do not have the hope of Christ, if you do not have a relationship and a sense of confidence and a sense of hope and, and belief because of Jesus, then you know, it really, every gift you receive at Christmas time, um, every gift you may give at Christmas time, all of those gifts inevitably will be empty because Jesus may be missing from your situation. Well, let's look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to read some scripture this morning as we talk about this, starting in verse 4. Would you read along with me? Would you follow along? So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her son, her firstborn, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. In the end. When we look at this story, one of the very first people, and I've, I've spoken about him for a, a few weeks, like this, this idea, I just, I think, what about that innkeeper? Think about like, I've joked about Sheldon Adelson or Steve Wynn or some of these amazing casino magnets that, that, we, that we know about here in Las Vegas, right? This innkeeper could have been more popular than all of them. He could have been the only innkeeper in, in the history of humanity that we, that we mentioned for 2,000 years straight right? But no doubt he was in a position where he completely and totally missed Jesus, right? It says there was no room for Mary and for Joseph and for this baby to be born. I mean, like, have a heart, right? Not only did Mary have to, to sit on, uh, she had to travel, right, through, through the desert nine months pregnant. That does not sound like my idea of fun ever, right? Traveling while nine months pregnant, let alone in the way they had to do it back then. They arrive in Bethlehem, and there's, there's no room. There is no vacancy. I think of times where, um, I, 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 like in Vegas, can we relate to this idea? Like, there is so much going on, right? And in about a week or so, we're going to see this city fill up as it does every year, for the most part. And there's going to be hotel after hotel that is priced higher than any price that will be over the New Year's break, right? Over the New Year's vacation weekend. And my goodness, there will be money pumping into this city. Business will be good. Business will be booming. And I think of this situation in Bethlehem, right? This innkeeper. Everybody's forced to travel for a census. 
everybody's forced to arrive and go back to their hometown. And so it's like, I, I bet this innkeeper is just like, man, business is so good right now. Money is so good right now, right? We are just, we are full. We are at capacity. I don't have to worry about anything. There is money just pumping in. The place is packed. Every room is sold out. He's worried about his business, his company, right? They're worried about government rules and regulations. They're traveling for a census, right? They're probably talking about different things, but I think very often in our own city, we can relate to a crowded space where money is coming in like crazy, but there is no room in that space for the person of Jesus, right? There is no room in that, that sales pitch on the Vegas Strip for the person of Jesus. I've joked in years past about when, when I was a kid and we used to do it here in church, we would have Christmas presents that were wrapped up in the, they were beautiful, huge boxes. But there was actually nothing inside them because they were decorations. How many of us have ever done that, right? Where it's like you have a box, but it's for decorative purposes only, right? That, right? And, and it looks cool. It looks great. But if we're not careful, we can become the same way where, you know what? Everything looks good. Everything is well wrapped. But truly, it's just empty on the inside. Culturally, we've become very good at doing Christmas. Would you agree with that, church? I'm telling you, that experience up in Summerlin was fun. Like, it, it was great. But... But my point is, we have become very good at packaging the lights, the festivities. We've become very good at, at, at spending whatever it is, making that atmosphere of Christmas, but actually not even referencing the subject of Christmas, right? We've become very good at selling it. We set up trees, and on top of this tree is this giant star, and we place the giant star on the top of the 200-foot white tree while we ignore the actual star of the Christmas story, who is the person of Jesus Christ. So as we continue in this series and as we wrap this up, if I could leave you with one thing, I, I don't want our church or our people or myself or my kids, I don't want to experience the thrills and the frills of Christmas without experiencing the king of Christmas. Would you open up your Bible, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Would you follow along with me in the word of God? It says, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Let's look at verse 3 as we get into point number 2. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. I find it interesting, don't you, that I guess being a kid growing up in church, we know what Herod's all about. We know even in, in, in the Gospels what it records that he plans to do, right? When he hears about this Messiah, this threat to his power, we know that Herod turned Christmas into massacre, right? Herod decided that every son, two years or younger, would be put to death. That's the type of man we think of when we think about Herod. We know he doesn't want anybody to challenge his rule, his reign, his power, or his position. But I guess what's interesting to me is the rest of verse 3 kind of echoes the fact that we don't always want Jesus to set up his kingdom, do we? Look at the end of verse 3. Would you underline this? If you look at it, it says, As was everyone in Jerusalem. I, I guess I, I know King Herod was disturbed. I know King Herod was distraught and distracted. It says King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. But then look at the rest of it. As was everyone in Jerusalem. As was everyone in Jerusalem. All Jerusalem was right there with him. I, I, think, I think there's this issue that they didn't want their lives possibly to be interrupted. Number two, would you write this down? Jesus came to set up his own kingdom. Jesus came to set up uh, his own rule. And maybe his kingdom and his rule and his plans don't always line up with my plans. Right? I think about these people. Why was everyone in Jerusalem, were they disturbed that there was a battle was coming? Were they disturbed? I think sometimes they may have just been disturbed with right there with King Herod because they just, they were afraid of change. 
They were afraid of something that was gonna that was gonna that was gonna be different. They were they were set in their their ways, their minds. They you know sometimes I think we don't even want our point of view challenged, do we? Right? I want to think what I want to think. I want to believe what I want to believe. I don't want anybody to challenge me. And the issue with that is Jesus came to challenge us, didn't he? Jesus came to force a decision. Jesus came to set up his reign and his rule. All Jerusalem was right there with him. The Greek word, when it says this for troubled or disturbed in this context, it, it means that Herod was agitated. It means all the people were right there with him. They were agitated. It means they were irritated. It means, it means they were frustrated. I think Jesus, each and every Christmas, wants to remind us and wants to challenge maybe the way we view things. I think Jesus wants to challenge our outlook this morning. Am I submitting to his leadership? Am I submitting to his rule? Or am I doing constantly what I want to do? You see, I think it, it feels like, because, you know, we have so, so many amazing things to be excited about when you look at technology and you look at, my dad and I were driving in today, and I think we were talking about briefly about electric cars and all the different things. But the reality, we think we've evolved so much as human beings, don't we? Just because of what we're able to accomplish with our, our, what we've accomplished through the years. We think we've evolved so much, but culturally, I think we are still a whole lot like these people in Jerusalem. We are afraid when anything challenges how we are to think. I think culturally, we're, we're afraid of losing whatever it is we think we have. We're afraid uh, and disturbed of losing, can we say it like this, of losing what we got. Jesus, culturally, you're allowed to be talked about. In our culture, Jesus is allowed to be mentioned, but I've said this before, that he's allowed to be mentioned as long as maybe you keep him in the manger. You keep mentioning him as that cute Christ child, right? But as long as, as culturally you don't mention what Jesus came to do, it seems to be a safe play as long as he stays in the manger. But the issue is Jesus didn't stay in the manger, did he? Jesus came to establish a kingdom. He came to reign, and he came to rule. Let's look at some more scripture. Verse 4, would you, would, let's, let's kind of continue in this, this story a bit, if you would. So King Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod clearly wasn't ready or planning or willing to worship this kid, was he? He's like, hey, tell me where he's going to be born. Even in fact, if we, if we look ahead, right, go to verse 7 with me if you would. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them at the time the star would first appear. Then he told them, hey, go to Bethlehem. Search carefully for the child. Look at verse 8. And when you find him, come and tell me so that I may go and worship him too. We clearly know what Herod is up to in this story. But I think as we, as we read this, I hope Scripture today doesn't feel like it's for someone else. But I hope God's Word feels like it's for you today. See, we pay homage, we honor Christ, we, we sing about Him, we, we shout Waymaker in church, right? But I want to say it like this, if we aren't ruled by Him, if we aren't led by Him, then all of our singing, all of our worshiping, it's really a waste of time if our King isn't leading us, right? Once we make a decision to follow Christ, our life should be about following a King, right? And, 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 and when we talk about kingdom dynamics, it's tough for us in Western, in our culture, because we don't like the idea of kingdom dynamics, really. We like democracy, right? That's, that's what's worked for us. We're the most amazing country in the world. We, we don't think of kingdom dynamics, but when it comes to a kingdom dynamic leader, our Lord of Lords, that we live our lives in essence to please that king. We live our lives to please the name of Jesus. Number three, we're going to get back into this scripture a little bit, but as we get ready to finish up the final point this morning, and I hope this challenges us today, you can go to church and still miss Christmas. Number three, would you write that down? You can go to church and still 
miss Christmas. There was a group that I can't say this with enough, um, my, my goodness, emphasis. There was a group that most definitely should have been there to celebrate the birth of Jesus. There's a group of people that should have made the, the trip. In fact, it was a relatively short trip compared to what the wise men did. There's a group of people that we're going to look at right here in this scripture. Would you look at verse 4 with me? I would call these the churchgoers, the synagogue goers, the church attendees, the teachers at the synagogues, the lead priests, the scribes. How can you go to church all the time? How can you read the Old Testament all the time and miss Christ? King Herod heard about this king, the Messiah. He calls a meeting. Look at verse 4 with me. He called a meeting of the leading priests. Look who he calls in. He calls in the religious people. The lead priests, the teachers of the religious law, and he asked them, he says, hey, hey guys, um, I'm not Jewish, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm, I, but I, I've heard you guys talking about this Messiah. He knows the language enough, he mentions Messiah, right? He says, hey uh, guys, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? He wants the info, the information, because there is a potential threat to my position. There's a, a potential threat to my bank account. There's a potential threat to my power. Where does this prophecy take place? And you notice almost instantly what the religious people do. I read this, and it, I know it's like Scripture, and so we're reading about things, and it seems like they happen instantaneously because we read them, right? But look at their response. To me, it seems like instantly they respond with Scripture. These Pharisees, these scribes, these lead priests and these scholars, they knew the word. They immediately, it seems like on the spot, he puts them on blast, and on the spot, they, they, they go to the book, they go to the, the, the writings of the prophet Micah, which is some 700 years before their existence, right? These events are taking place in Matthew. The events that take place in Micah are like 700 years before any of this happens in the book of Matthew. And they almost instantly say, oh my goodness, here it is, uh, uh, Herod, the Messiah, is going to be born in Bethlehem. Look what they say, uh, Micah, Micah 5, 2, here's the prophecy, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village, among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. It's like right there, spot on, these guys knew the scriptures, and I, I think this is interesting to me. They knew the verse, but they didn't make the trip. This is mind-blowing to me. They, they, they knew the prophecy, but they didn't bother to get in the car and drive down the street. They, they had the head knowledge, but they didn't take any action. Interesting to me, you know, think about the manger scene and the beauty of it, right? It seems like there's more animals present for the birth of the king than there are people. Right? It seems like, 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 how did so many people miss the arrival of the king of kings? Verse 5, here's their response to the king in Bethlehem and Judea. They said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And they're repeating this from Micah chapter 2. They say to Herod, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're not the least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come out of you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. I think it's interesting that the wise men had no formal training. The wise men didn't have the seminary school or the doctorates or the masters. They didn't have all of that. They, if anything, I, I think from the east, they were probably, they, they saw this star and they were probably more into astrology, but there was something that was pulling at their hearts. There was something that was drawing them to the person of Jesus, even though they lacked information about him. You see that? There's something drawing them to the person of Christ, even though they lacked the head knowledge. They didn't have the formal education. And here you have the religious people. You have the pastors. You have the teachers. You have the Bible study leaders. You have the scribes, all these guys. And they quote this prophecy on the spot. They come up with the scripture, but they didn't make the trip to even bother to look for him. In fact, right there along, they, they, they can be listed right there with King Herod, right there with the innkeeper, right there with the people in Jerusalem, 
right? These, these religious folks could be listed right there. They're, they're in this group of people who missed him. They weren't drawn to him at Christmas. They, they missed him. And you'll see throughout Jesus and his life as he gets older, remember he didn't stay that little kid, he gets older and they, they, they still miss him. They still treat him the same way. John chapter 5, verse 39, would you read it with me? He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You think the scriptures will save you is what he says. Here we go, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this. That's a wonderful chapter. I want to encourage you to read it. I was reading it this week, and he even, he even goes on to say that, man, you, you aren't pleasing Moses. <laughs> Moses would be upset with you guys. Yet you'd rather, you, you say you want to follow him, but you're not, because you're not following me. It's interesting. How many of you know somebody, maybe in the past, or um, maybe you are this person, and maybe, I, I'm not sure, but I, I want to be careful the way I say this, kind of, but have you ever met someone who's like the Bible-quoting Christian, but there's just no, like, wisdom and no softness and no grace and no mercy with how they weaponize Scripture? Have you ever met anybody like that? That's, yes, the only part of Scripture they like is that it's sharper than any two-edged sword because they just want to use it to, like, cut, 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 like prime rib, baby, right? Going to town right? Have you ever met anybody like that where it's, it's like they have all of this head knowledge, but somehow none of that head knowledge has moved into their heart, and somehow all of that head knowledge hasn't moved into their hands, because they're, they're so smart up here, but they don't know how to love people here. They don't know how to give. They don't know how to trust God with a single dollar even though they've been blessed abundantly. Have you ever met anybody like that? That they just, they're a Bible-quoting Christian, but it doesn't seem like they have any intimacy with Jesus. Have you ever met anyone like that, right? I think each of us have, right? It doesn't, it, it seems like they have so much information about the Savior, but you kind of wonder, do they even know the Savior? Do you, like, do you even know Him, or you just like to kind of like get into the Word, Get into the scriptures, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. The scripture is what it's about. The teachers and these leaders, it seems like they knew the scripture, but how did they get to a place where all that scripture was of no value to them? Because my goodness, the shepherds showed up. The shepherds knew what to do, right? Mary and Joseph didn't have any formal training. They knew what to do, right? The wise men, they, they, they were drawn to him. Here's what I think it is. It would be point number four, but I didn't write a point number four, but this should be it. For the religious people in that time, the written word remained the written word. The written word remained the written word. You see, for the religious people, the written word stays just that. It, it never becomes the living word. It never becomes the living word that they can use. That, they, that, that Scripture is intended to take us on a deeper journey with our Savior. Scripture is meant to, to bring us into a deeper walk and understanding and relationship with Him, right? I always think sometimes when we go through life, have you ever felt like this, that God, I do not hear you speaking one bit, right? I don't hear you, God. You know what's interesting? When you can't hear God, I could say it like this, you need to read God. Right? When you can't hear him, get into his word. One of my kids was having a bit of a, an, I think it was a little bit of an anxiety issue recently over a test at school, right? And it was, we were going to church and there was just something going on and emotions were high. And I did something that I, I haven't, I, I took the devotion that I usually listen to and I put my earbuds in and I usually listen to it by myself. And I told my girls, I said, you know what, we're just going to listen to this drive time devotion from Pastor Tom Holland on Saddleback. And we listened to it, and interesting enough, I just hit play the devotion of the day. I didn't even search anything. And this devotion talked about fear, and it talked about anxiety, and it talked about when we are fearful, there's a couple things we can do. And my nine-year-old is sitting there going from tears, and she's listening to the Word of God when he says, you know, the first thing you can do when you are fearful is you can thank Him for something. You can thank Him for something, right? 
And I remember we stopped and we talked about it. It was interesting how the word of God, that information was given to her, but when we applied it, it became living and that anxiety just melted away. And by the time we got done with our 25-minute trip to church, the tears were gone. The anxiety was gone because the word didn't just stay written. It became living in that moment. Find it interesting, when Jesus got older, people still didn't listen to him, did they? Right? These, these, these people that had hardened hearts towards the things of God, they, they knew the written word, but when they saw Jesus heal the blind man, what did they do? Did they come to him? When they saw Jesus, like the, the deaf person began to hear, did they come to him? They kept seeing miracle after miracle. They, they saw people that were so desperate to connect with Jesus that they would lower their friend. They broke down a ceiling and they lowered their friend through a roof down to the floor to get close to him to get their friend healed. And their friend stood up and he walked, right? And what did they do in those moments? These people, their hearts were so far from him. They were so into the written word that they couldn't understand the living word and the person of Jesus. That they, they didn't, did they come to him? No, they said, isn't that Joseph, the carpenter's kid? Right? Isn't that the kid from, isn't that the guy from Nazareth? Who is he to cast out these demons? Who is he to, to heal in the name of the Lord, right? It seems like they collected all this information about Jesus without ever walking into relationship and intimacy with him. Here's a question. Why weren't the religious people drawn to the Savior. Let's look at verse 9 as we wrap this up this morning. After, <clears throat> excuse me, after this interview, the wise men went their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw, when the star, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gold. They gave him frankincense, and they gave him myrrh. Now, the nativity looks great on paper, and it looks great in, in, a, in a box when we sell it, right? It looks great. We have this toy nativity set that my kids still, still love to play with, right? It looks cool, but the reality is, um, uh, when, when, in this verse, when the wise men showed up, scholars believe that Jesus was no longer in a manger at this point. They believe he was actually more around the age of a toddler, right? The, he, he was this toddler. They come into this house, and any parents of toddlers in the house? I think of Jesus being like a toddler, and yet I, I still bet you he was a toddler that crawled around and tried to eat everything on the floor, right? How many of us, how many of us have any toddlers? I, I love babies, right before they can roll over and start to crawl. How many of you would, parents in the house say amen to that, right? Like when they can just sit there and they're in awe of everything they see, but you, that moment they start to crawl, you better like have your house on lockdown. Amen, right? You better like watch those outlets. You better watch anything on the floor, any old, any, any old food, whatever. You better watch your stuff because they will put it in their mouth. They will electrocute themselves. They will do something, Right? We laugh, but it's, it's true, right? I think it's interesting. Scholars believe Jesus is more around the age of a toddler. When they saw the star, they began their journey. But let's do some math here, folks. They began their journey when they saw the star, but they didn't arrive to see Jesus until he was possibly a toddler. So if we do the math here, that equates to the world's worst and longest road trip. Right? Crossing continents, right? Literally crossing the known world. There was something drawing them to Jesus. It was a long journey. I love the fact that it seems to me like the wise men recognized that Jesus was worth the journey. They had crossed the, the known world, yet it seems like, my goodness, the religious people of that time, they couldn't make a two-week trip, right? Right? They couldn't make the two-week trip that Mary made while she was pregnant. And yet, we want to point the finger. I want to be like, how could those religious people act that way? But yet, there's times in our own lives where it's like, we don't even want to be inconvenienced or drive across town to serve or hear about Jesus. If we're, deaf, if we're, if we're totally honest at times. I watched my girls this week. We were 
handing out those Christmas Eve invitations, and um, like any good dad, I was keeping track of them from the warm car, um, right? And it was freezing, and we only got a few houses in my parents' cul-de-sac, and we went to our house, our neighborhood, and I was watching them, and I'm sitting there in the front seat, and my little girl Quinn and my daughter Harper are just smiling ear to ear. Their cheeks are purple, their noses are turning pink. It was freezing. It was that windy day we had this week. And they're going door to door in my parents' neighborhood, leaving those cards on the door because in their minds, they're sitting here going, why would people not want to be here celebrating Jesus on Christmas Eve? Why would you not want to come here and, and hear Christmas songs and see us dance? You know, even the night before Friday night, why would you not want to come see Santa? Why would you not want to come and see what God is doing? In their minds, I was watching them with total joy and total excitement until it hit me as I'm sitting there in the front seat just going, God, why don't I have that type of excitement about this? I felt like God was saying, like, when was the last time I got remotely as excited as my kids to invite someone to come experience the king of kings when was the last time i got excited to invite someone to experience jesus i saw this heartfelt love of children just so excited to be like they're going to just pass these things out and they're going to fill up the church because they're seven and they're five and they're just beautiful right and i thought man when was the last time i had half that excitement i think there's something in our kids that innocence that even though they may not understand all the nuances of their god Right? They are so drawn to the person of Jesus. They were excited to tell him about this king, about the arrival, about a savior who's worthy of our praise. I think about it this way with the angels and the shepherds. If God sent the angels to celebrate Jesus and make it a big deal, how many of you think we should make it a big deal? I would say if God, if God sent the angels to declare his arrival, how many, I think I should make it a big deal. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. This is our final verse this morning before we close. Tanner, would you come close us out on the keys, my man? Jesus grew up. You know, he didn't stay in that manger. And the reason he didn't stay in the manger is because of this verse right here. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. Bringing salvation to all. Would we look at the, can we look at that verse one more time? Look at it with me, church. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. That grace of God is a singular person. That grace of God is the name and the person of Jesus. I don't know where you're at in your walk with him right now, in your relationship right now with the Lord or the struggles that you are facing this holiday season. But I know one thing, if you need a reversal, if you need a situation to change, if you need a reversal in your life, I know the best way to get it, it's to do what the wise men did, it's to do what you see your kids doing, it's to seek the person of Jesus this Christmas. Because wise men, they still seek Jesus this Christmas. And when you make that trip to see him, to meet with him, when you don't miss him, you are reminded that he is a big deal. Right? I love that the wise men brought these gifts that were fit for a king. They brought gold, which served the family well, I'm sure. They brought frankincense. They brought myrrh. See, I don't know what tension or what failure or where you're at with the person of Jesus. But I know that through Jesus, each of us here can have freedom. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. There's still power in the name of Jesus. There's still revelation in the name of Jesus. There is still reversal in the name of Jesus. There is still healing in the name of Jesus. There is still freedom in the name of Jesus. 
but it's a name, church, we have to share. It's a name we have to experience. It's a name we have to celebrate. And when you realize what he has done in you, when you realize where he has taken you and pulled you from that reversal in your own life, I I don't know about you, but I just think, oh my gosh, that is good news that we just simply have got to share. Can we bow our heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time in your house today. God, thank you for any of those that might be online with us as well. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that this message would be for me. This message would be for you. This message would be for all. God, your word is for us today. God, we don't want to be like those religious chumps that they knew so much about Scripture, but they didn't act on a thing. They knew more Scripture than probably all of us combined in this room. But man, they sure failed. They sure missed it. They got so religious that they never lived it. God, we pray that you would change our hearts through the power of surrendering to you, surrendering our lives to this Christmas, to our King. Maybe they're here this morning, and maybe there's some part of your life where maybe you need a reversal, or maybe there's some part of your life that you just feel like, you know what, you need to surrender this thing to him. You need to surrender this trauma. You need to surrender this stress. You need to surrender this decision. You need to surrender this enemy. Whatever it is, you need to surrender this mindset to the king. I pray the Holy Spirit is showing you maybe that area where you're just kind of partially surrendering. Maybe you're here today in those words of Jesus. You know, when he got older, he said things that we aren't always comfortable hearing he said something like this once he said not everyone who says to me lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do what the will of my father is basically saying not everybody who says my name knows me because if they knew me they would actually do what i want them to do they'd stop doing what they want to do I want to just challenge you and say with one prayer, you can change wherever your standing is with God. You can change your standing with the King because Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross because we, we, we've blown it. He'd been to the cross because we sinned, because we have messed up this world beyond repair. And that sin separates ourselves from a God that is so perfect. But the whole purpose of that Christ child, the whole purpose of the manger was grace. Grace for us today grace to make a way jesus he grew up he grew strong and he went to that cross he took on the cross he took on that challenge and he died on that cross but then it didn't stop there because bible says that he rose again there was people in the book of luke that gave account after account they saw him die and they saw him again and they saw him ascend and he's ruling at the right hand of the father and he makes an appeal he makes a case for you today You see, Jesus is the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas. But I challenge you, if you already have that gift, he's also the greatest gift. You can partner with him. You can partner with God. You can partner with the Holy Spirit. And you can share that gift with someone else. He's the greatest gift you can help give away. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe you want to invite him to lead you this morning. Maybe you want to invite him to be your king, to your Lord. I want to ask you that question today as we close this service. I want to ask you online. If you want Jesus to be your king, if you want Jesus to be your Lord, if you feel him prompting you to say, you know what, surrender your life to me. Would you just lift your eyes? Would you just lift your hands? One, two, and three. And I just want to know. I just want to ask. Is there anybody here? I want to just ask you that question. Amen. Can we pray this morning? Amen. I see you over there. Can we lift our voices? God, can we pray? Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Simply those areas I've blown in. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Help me live for you. I want to become a new creation. And I want to serve you.
God, I want to share the good news about you. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say amen. Amen. Can we just praise him and applaud him and say, God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. This morning, as we close, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. And as, as we kind of dismiss, I want to invite you to hang out and talk. But really quick, just a reminder this week what this week looks like. Thursday night, 6 p.m., right? Be here or be square. Friday night, 6 p.m., be here. Pick one of those nights. It's going to be a wonderful candlelight communion service. And then next Sunday as well, maybe you're here by accident. You usually go to the 9 a.m. Next Sunday, it's that morning after Christmas. And so we are actually going to have one service at 11 o'clock. So that doesn't really change our schedule so much. But maybe you know someone who attends the 9 that wasn't here today. Would you let everybody know next Sunday, one service, 11 a.m. And will we see you on Christmas Eve, church? Yes? All right? Let me ask you this. Um, will you invite someone to share Christmas Eve with you? That's even a deeper thing, right? It's a deeper ask. Invite someone to come and be here on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a Christmas Eve service like you've never seen before. It's going to catch you off guard. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be magical. I'll leave it like that. So you want to be here. There you go. I'm leaving you a cliffhanger. See you, see you Christmas Eve. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.